0: Welcome to Mark Connor's podcast. For more information, visit markconner.com.au. The title of this two-part series is called The Spiritual Journey, Understanding the Stages of Faith. And you know, when you're on a journey, there are many stages. There are mountains, there are valleys, there's all this experience on the journey. And when you're on a journey, it helps to have a map, Yes. Come on, it helps to have a map. It also helps to have a guide, someone that can give you some tips along your journey. And so what I'm going to endeavor to do over the next couple of weeks is to share a bit of a map for the journey of faith. And I also want to endeavor to be a guide, to give you some tips along your journey, wherever you may be. Right Now, now this map that I'm going to share with you is more descriptive than prescriptive. What I mean is, I'm going to try to describe the terrain, the journey that often the journey of faith includes. It doesn't mean this always happens. It doesn't mean it must happen or should happen. But this is a map of what often happens in people's journey of faith. Also, I'm going to share a map that's a little bit sequential. It's going to move through some stages. But I'd like to suggest to you that life is far more random. Than what I'm going to share with you. Often life is cyclic, it's not so much linear, and things can happen and change along the way. But I do pray as I share these stages of faith that wherever you are in your journey, you'll understand a little bit more about what God's doing in your world. How does it sound? You know, that's what I'm going to do anyway, but it's always good to check. So, let's start and talk about the spiritual journey. The first stage is something we call awareness. Our spiritual journey begins with this experience of awareness. This is where, somewhere along our journey, we discover or recognize that someone, something bigger than us called God, not only exists but is interested in our lives and loves us. Uh, some, for some of us, this happens at childhood. In our early years, other people, this awareness happens in the adult years. Uh, some people call these conversion stories, stories of becoming aware of God. Uh, for some, it's a very identifiable experience. You know the moment, you know the time, you know the date, you know where you were when you suddenly become aware of God for others it's kind of a gradual realization you you couldn't say when and where you don't have any certainty but you just kind of know there is a god uh, i think conversion can sometimes be likened to waking up Uh, This morning, uh, I had an alarm clock beginning to the day. Um, I was up at 7.15 today, which is not a normal start for a Saturday, but I was speaking at an Alpha board retreat. Uh, My sister's visiting from America, so we stayed up really late last night. So I was woken suddenly this morning. You know what alarm clock morning's like? You know, I can tell you, 7.15, I was dead asleep, and just like that, I was awake. Uh, You know, some people's awareness of God is a little bit like that. They can tell you when, the time, the moment. It's like, suddenly, I realized I was aware there's a God. Uh, We think of uh, Saul on the road to Damascus, and he's persecuting Jesus. And suddenly, he has a vision. Jesus knocks him off his horse, or whatever he was riding, an Uber donkey, who knows. (laughs) And suddenly, in a moment, he realizes this Jesus is persecuting his God. Talk about an alarm clock conversion. Maybe you had one of those where you can remember the moment when you were aware of God. Uh, on Monday morning, I have a day off, and I will not set my alarm. And what will probably happen is I'll kind of partly awake and then doze off and then partly awake and doze off. And then the dogs will want their crunchies and Nicole will want a coffee. And at some point, I'll wake up. But if you see me on Tuesday and you ask me what time I woke up on Monday, I'll have no idea. I won't be able to tell you the time, but somehow, somewhere, I eventually woke up. Are you with me? And, you know, there's other people in the room listening online that they couldn't tell you when they were aware of God. There wasn't a moment. There wasn't uh, any particular time that they can recall. They just found themselves awake, Very good. aware that, that there is a God. I, I, we're all different in this experience of awareness. We're all unique. Let me tell you a little bit about my story. I grew up in a Christian home. I'm a PK, a preacher's kid. Any PKs in the room today? Uh, A couple PKs. My dad used to call me a TO, which stands for Theological Offspring, which is a little higher category of PK. Anyway, when I was a kid, I went to church three times every Sunday. We went in the morning, we went in the afternoon, and the evening. Now you know why I'm so holy. Uh, In fact, when I was eight years of age, my dad and my mom and myself, my sister, we went to America and, and we traveled up and down the West Coast for 18 months. Uh, it was the days of all the camp meetings and the Bible teaching, Ern Baxter, Bob Mumford. And so I was on tour with my dad. I think in 18 months, I went to 800 meetings. I'd go to the kids' program, then I'd get a bit bored, so I'd sit down in the front as an eight-year-old and take notes on my dad. And in those days, end times was the rage, you know. So I learned all about the end times. In fact, some meetings, I'd say to dad, Dad, are you going to speak about the Antichrist today, or aren't these people ready for that? <laughs> Anyway, simply to say, I grew up in a Christian home, in church. I kind of grew up in an environment where everyone around me seemed to know God. Everyone seemed to be aware of God. But in my my, uh, teenage years, I kind of decided I wanted to know God for myself. And so we are living in America at the time, and uh, we had this four-story house, typical American, Portland, Oregon, basement, first floor, upstairs, and then the attic. And so I decided to do a three-day fast, and I was going to meet with God. So I took my Bible and my journal, and I headed to the attic. And so there I was, first day. Okay, God, you know, I've been in church. All these people seem to know you, but I want to know you. Here I am. Anyway, not much happened the first day. Second day. Hey, God, I'm here. I'm here flipping through my Bible, journal, you know. Nothing. Nothing's happening. I'm getting a little hungry right now. Nothing's happening. Third day. I was getting a bit annoyed. God, I'm here. You know, no angels have rocked up. There's no scroll from heaven. There's no booming voice. I'm really hungry right now. I'm thinking, God, you know, where are you? I'm here, and uh, I never forget the moment near the latter part of the third day, slipping through my Bible, and I kind of landed on 1 Samuel 3. And there's this story of this little boy named Samuel. And uh, God calls Samuel, Samuel... Samuel. But it says God didn't recognize, Samuel didn't yet recognize God's voice. And so he went to Eli, the old priest. Hey, hey, you called me. Now it wasn't me. Go back to bed. You know, it happens three times. Eventually the old priest realizes God's talking to him. And he says, go back, lay down, and this time say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I'm reading this story, and it's like the words jumped off the page. I didn't hear any audible el- voice or scroll from heaven, but a flood of thoughts came into my mind. And I felt God say, Mark, I'm actually speaking to you all the time, but you're missing the simple ways in which I speak to you. You're looking for the spectacular, and you're missing, I'm right here with you. I speak to you through your parents. Ouch. I speak to you through the preacher on the weekend. I'm speaking to you through my words, through the Spirit. And I just had this flood of thoughts, and for the first time, I sense God speaking to me. And, and my life was, was never this quite the same after. See, I'd been around God, I'd been aware, but now I was aware of God for myself. And so that was, that was kind of my story. That's when I really began to know God personally, and my life changed at that point. And so what about you here today? Can you recall a moment of an awareness with God? Maybe it was sudden, maybe it was gradual, maybe when you were young, maybe when you were a little bit older. Uh, The good news is if we seek Him, we will find Him. And uh, God actually wants all humans to be aware of Him. You know, we sometimes hear this phrase, oh, they're really far from God. Have you ever heard that? They're really far from God. It's not biblical. Paul's in Athens, in this pagan center, this city, and he says, God is not far from any one of us. And the good news is your brothers, your sisters, your family, your workmates, uh, God is not far from any one of us. It's just that people aren't yet aware of His presence. They haven't yet woken up to the reality of God. Uh, See, we don't lack the presence of God. What we lack is awareness. There's an amazing story in the Old Testament. Remember Jacob? He lands in this certain place out in the desert, and he goes to sleep, and he has this dream of angels going up and down this ladder to heaven and earth. And he wakes up, and he goes, God was in this place, and I was not aware of it. What turns an ordinary place into a holy, awesome place? Awareness of God. You ever heard this phrase, oh, God showed up tonight? it kind of implies God wasn't there and yeah. he, he turned out, he decided to come tonight. Maybe we should actually say, we woke up tonight. Brilliant. Because God is with us all the time. God is everywhere. There's no way you can go where God isn't there. Yeah. The issue is not, is God there? The issue is, are we awake? Are we aware of God's Presence. And so may this Christmas time we all become more aware, and may people that we interact with become aware of God at this season. Everyone said amen. So, this is where we start our journey. Uh, secondly, the second stage is what we could call growth. Uh, We're now aware of God, we believe in God, we've woken up to the reality of God, and and now we kind of want to grow to both know God, to be like Him, to please Him. We enter this stage of growth, and uh, in this stage, uh, there's a couple of things that really help uh, uh, the community of faith. We actually discover there's other people who are aware of God. And usually at this point, we find some other Christians, Uh, we find a church, we find a a, a church home, a family, and we realize there's other people who believe, who are aware of God. And the community of faith becomes important in our growth. Now again, if we haven't had our own awareness of God, we can end up with a socialized faith. This is one of the challenges of kids growing up in church, is they can end up with a socialized faith, but haven't yet themselves become aware of God. But this growth part is really important. The community, the people we're involved with, but also uh, learning some of the spiritual disciplines and spiritual experiences that help us to grow. Uh, There's an interesting verse where Paul writes to Timothy. Uh, It's actually, if you're taking notes, uh, 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8. He says to Timothy, train yourself to be godly. It's an interesting little phrase. Train yourself to be like God, to be like Jesus. Here's this growth thing. Notice he doesn't say try to be godly. You ever tried to be like Jesus? Come on, love your enemies. Just try that. He doesn't say try to be godly. He says train yourself. You know what the Greek word for train is? It's the word gymnazo, from which we get the word gymnastics. Enter a life of training so you actually start to become like Jesus. See, in the natural, how many know trying only gets us so far? Okay, let me explain. You're kind of looking at me a bit strange. Uh, Let's say next Saturday, we're going to run a marathon for Bayside and raise some money for a great community cause. Who can run a marathon next Saturday? Come on. One, two... (laughs) Come on, where's your commitment? It's a good cause. We're going to raise money for the community, for the vision next year. Come on, who's in for the marathon next Saturday? One, two, four. four. What's wrong with you people? See, the rest of you, the rest of you are smart because you know... As pumped up as I can get you, just by training, you're not going to run. A, sorry, just by trying, you're not going to run a marathon. You just can't do it. Now, if we said next year we're going to run a marathon, and over the next year we're all going to go into training, how many know with a year of training, a year from now we could all probably run a marathon? Yeah. Just relax. It's only an illustration. So, see, listen carefully, training enables you to do what you cannot do by willpower alone. Did you catch that? Training enables you to do what you cannot do by willpower alone. You cannot run a marathon by just trying to run a marathon. But if you will train yourself, training empowers you. Let's pick another field. Let's say music. I could say, Sandra down here tonight, Sandra, I just kind of feel you could play the piano if you really try. You can? Do you play the piano? <laughs> Poor choice, Mark. Scotty, Scotty, I just kinda uh, sorry. Do you play the piano, Scotty? You do. Man, I'm 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 doing well tonight. Alice, do you play the piano? You can't. What's your name? Leah. Leah. Thank you, Leah. Man, I was going to use up my whole time trying to find someone that doesn't play the piano. So, so just imagine I said to Leah, Leah, I think you can play the piano. We could get Leah up here. We could come and, Leah, Leah, Leah. You know, we could cheer her on. But how many know Leah's is not going to be able to play the piano just by trying? Yeah, yeah. But if Leah will do some lessons this year, learn some scales, some arpeggios, some theory, training will enable her to do what trying will not accomplish. Are you following me? Let's speak a language. Uh, Scotty, do you speak Japanese? No. I reckon you can, if you just try. Come on, come on, come on. Suzuki, Mitsubishi, Kamikaze, Sushi. Yeah. It, it's stupid to think you're going to speak a language just by having a go. But if Scotty would go to class, learn some vocabulary, learn how many know by training you can learn to do what you cannot do by trying alone? Why do we as Christians think that we can try to be like Jesus? But if we'll enter a life of training, that's what Paul says to Timothy, train yourself to be God. And much of our growth will be from being part of a community, but by engaging in spiritual exercises. Things like prayer and reading God's word, and fellowship, and serving, and retreating, <laughs> silence, solitude. What are all these things? These are exercises that position us for transformation. And the question isn't how many exercises are you doing; is the question is are you changing? The issue is not how, how many chapters of your Bible did you read today, how long did you pray, how many days you. No, the, the issue is are you becoming like Jesus? Becoming a bit more joyful? The issue is not how many push-ups did you do? It's can you run the marathon? It's not how many arpeggios did you do, Leah? It's can you play the piano? It's not how many vocabulary days did you do? It's can you speak Japanese? It's the end that's most important. We often get caught up in all of the disciplines and it's not a barometer of spirituality. They're means of grace for transformation. And so as I look at my story of growth, I'm thankful for the communities I've been a part of. I'm thankful for some disciplines of prayer and reading the word. For me, the Bible has been quite profound. As a teenager, my youth pastor encouraged us to read a proverb for the day. And so, if it was the 5th of December, we'd read Proverbs 5. And if you do that every month, you'll read the book of Proverbs 12 times a year. I did that for multiple years. I can't tell you how much wisdom I gleaned. I can't tell you how many times God spoke to me through a proverb. Uh, Can I confess something to you? It's all right. Uh, I'm not perfect. I actually had a friend who um, I was hanging out with, and he was starting to do a little stealing in the local Kmart and we were into bikes in those days. And so I kind of helped him. I didn't do the stealing myself, but I'd go down in an aisle. This is before CCTV. I'd go down an aisle and kind of open a packet. and Then I'd go the next aisle. And then he'd kind of come along and, and, you know, little parts and stuff for the bike. We were doing this a couple of times. And, and I was rationalizing that I wasn't stealing like he was stealing. It's amazing how the mind works. I'm just a teenager. Give, give me a break. You're not as holy as you look. Anyway. <laughs> Fair dinkum, true blue. I'm reading the proverbs one day in the Living Bible, and I'm reading along, and i have just been doing this, and this proverb said, "He who is a partner to a thief is a fool." <laughs> I tell you what, God had my attention. I said, "Hey, hey, Steve, not nah, nah, not doing that anymore." I even had that recently. Uh, I wish this happened every day, but we used to live out. Um, on a couple of acres. We had a neighbor that had a few sheep and they didn't look after them that well. They kind of let them get really woolly. And there was this one heat wave in Melbourne and, and the sheep would keep falling over, but it was in their backyard. We could see it. They couldn't see it. And so I had to go around, hey, hey, your sheep are falling over. Anyway, this happened time and time again. So one Saturday morning. I got up. I was actually just reading my Bible, doing a bit of devotion. Nicole says, hey, the sheep's fallen over. You need to go. I said, I'm not telling him. I'm done, I'm not back reading my Bible. I was reading Matthew, and it says, Jesus talked about the Sabbath. He says, who of you has a sheep? Fall into the ditch on the Sabbath, will not reach out. I jumped out of my chest, I'm going. True story, true story. Doesn't happen every day. But you know, if I hadn't have been reading the Bible in those moments, you know, where could I have gone as a kid? I'm just giving you one discipline, reading the Bible. These things are, are powerful and they help us to grow in our faith. What, what about you? What, uh, what spiritual experiences, maybe water baptism, spirit baptism, what experiences have helped you grow? What disciplines are you finding transformative? This is our next stage of faith. Let's go to number three now, the third stage. So we've become aware of God. We believe in God. We we know God. We're now starting to grow. We're part of a community. We're growing with others. We're disciples of Jesus. We're engaging in disciplines that are helping us change. We're training. We're in in a life of training. And and then this normally emerges to a a stage of contribution. And uh, we did a whole message on this in November called Discovering Your Life Purpose as we honoured our volunteers here at Bayside. And so it's at this point where we start to realise that we have been shaped for a purpose. You've got spiritual gifts, you've got a heart, a passion, uh, and none of us want to be useless. We all want to be useful. And so this is where we start to serve. Maybe we lead, we see our job as part of our ministry. This is a really important growth, part of our growth, part of our journey of faith. I shared in that message how for me, I didn't kind of come out of the womb wanting to be a church leader. I went through many different vocations and phases to where I am now. We talked about some of the ways you can discover your life purpose, your unique contribution. And so if you weren't there, I'm going to encourage you to have a listen to that message because we're going to move on to our next part of the journey of faith. So I wish right now we could kind of go, you're aware of God, you're growing, you're contributing, that's it. Just kind of wait till Jesus comes. But I've discovered that most people in their journey of faith come to a fourth stage at some point, and we're going to call this the wall. The wall. At some point in most people's journey, there are some bumps, some challenges, maybe a crisis, but we hit the wall. This is a part of our journey where we start to have questions. We start to have doubts. We may even experience some uncertainty. Our faith isn't quite working as it did a little earlier on. It could be a life challenge. It could be a crisis. It could be a faith test. But suddenly we're feeling a little vulnerable. And this can be a very unsettling time in our journey of faith. My first experience at the wall was when I was 16 years of age. Uh, my older sister, who's visiting from America now, she's eight and a half years older than me. She'd already left our home, married, Frank Demosio, so I was kind of an only child. Um, we ended up having uh, a Bible college student come and board with us. His name was Robert. He was 20. And I kind of had my older brother that I always wanted, and so I was loving. Robert lived for, with us for about a year. Uh, we went away on holidays, living in America at the time. Summer vacation, we went away. Robert had to work, so he didn't come. And so we went off, uh, had a great time. I still remember the moment we'd just arrived back at the house. My dad had his hand on the front door lock, was opening the door, and the phone was ringing. We grabbed our suitcases. Dad went in to answer the phone. And we could see he was shaken. It was Robert's best friend and a young adult group from the church had been out swimming in a river. And Robert had tragically drowned. Went under, caught by a branch, tried to rescue him, but he drowned. He drowned. And I still remember, as as a 16-year-old sitting in his funeral, going, "What is going on? He's training for the ministry. He's got prophecies over his life. He's engaged to this beautiful girl." And I just sat there stunned, like like God, God, like where are you now? Like, why is this happening? I was at the wall. Wasn't my only time at the wall. Uh, 1990, married now, little boy Josiah, my dad and mum went off to America, got to the Los Angeles airport, my dad got on a plane to go to Chicago to preach there, my mum's waiting to get on a plane to go to Portland to see my sister, we'd moved back to Australia by now, and my mum had a massive heart attack, Gate 77, United Airlines there. We all flew in, came around, my mum was on life support, and then she passed away. Mid-60s, didn't get to say goodbye. Some time at the wall. Uh, Nineteen two oh seven. Uh, Nicole's mum, losing weight. doctor said she had thyroid, brought her to Melbourne, got a second opinion, discovered she had advanced bowel and stomach cancer, and in three weeks she was gone. Wow. Ten days later, our kids had a car accident on New Year's Day, and thankfully they all survived. But that night... Uh, all three of them were in the emergency ward of a hospital. I just simply say, I've, I've had some times at the wall where you're kind of going, God, where, where are you now? And what is going on and why has this happened? And aren't you good and aren't you around? This was a tough, tough time. As you look at the Bible... There are many stories of faith and triumph and healings and miracles, but for every heroic story, there are others. Others. Ever read Hebrews 11 and kept reading (laughs) beyond all the great miracles? There's a little line that says, and there were others who didn't see the answer to their prayer, but continued in faith. In fact, could I suggest to you, it takes a stronger and a deeper faith to continue to trust God at the wall than it does when everything's going really, really well. And so we don't have time to go into them all, but Abraham was promised to be a great nation. He doesn't even have one child. Sarah is barren. Job was a good man, and yet he suffered terrible tragedies. In the end, he was restored, but he never found out why. Joseph spent 13 long years in a prison. Moses spent 40 years on the backside of a desert wondering where God was. The people of Israel miraculously delivered from Egypt but spent 40 long years in a wilderness wondering, God, what's going on? David had to grapple with the consequences of his moral failure, committing adultery and killing Bathsheba's husband at war. Elijah became so depressed he was even suicidal. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den for doing the right thing, Peter boldly declared, I'll never deny you, Jesus, and then went out and wept bitterly. And he, at the wall, had to deal with guilt and shame and regret. The disciples were shocked when Jesus was crucified, and on the road to Emmaus, two of them said, We had hoped he was the one. Can you feel the disappointment? We had actually hoped he was the one. Paul spent long years in prison. Ministry friends deserted him. He was beaten and stoned with real stones. Some of you get that a little later. <laughs> Shipwrecked. He had a thorn in the flesh. No one knows what it was, but it sounds painful, doesn't it? He prayed three times. God, would you take this away? And God's answer was, my grace is going to be enough for you. Simply to say, these people all spent time at the wall. We realize that bad things actually do happen to good people. Life is not all sunshine. There are rainy and stormy days and we wonder where God is. And so hitting the wall in our journey of faith is not unusual. It's normal. There's nothing wrong with us. If you've actually ever been there, we're in good company. This time at the wall can be a defining moment in our journey of faith. St. John of the Cross referred to as the dark night of the soul. It can be pivotable. Our choices at this moment will have such a big impact on our ongoing journey. At the wall, we can do three things. We can deny there even is a wall and just kind of circle back to awareness, growth, contribution, and just keep saying, God is good all the time. God is good. But just kind of repeating that little mantra doesn't necessarily fix all of our questions in our doubts. So some people deny there even is a wall. Other people at this point defect on their faith and go, this is too hard. They don't think they can trust a God who allows suffering to happen in their world. Some people just defect. I'm out of here. This Christianity thing wasn't all that I thought it would be. And they walk away from their faith at the wall. Then there are those who deepen their faith. At the wall, by surrendering afresh to God, even in the midst of questions, doubts, and uncertainty, and with great courage, they actually find themselves moving through that wall. I, I don't understand why Robert passed away at age 20. I, I don't have the answer to that question, but I can tell you this, his funeral was a defining moment in my life. I'd been kind of a yo-yo Christian up to that point and at his funeral a 16-year-old I realized how short life was the very next morning I started a journal and I committed my life afresh to God and one day one day I'll see Robert and I'll say Robert you you only lived 20 years but your death impacted my life it actually for me it became a defining moment in my life and that doesn't make me a better person than anyone else. But this wall moment, we can either just deny it, we can defect, or we can actually deepen our faith. And it can be something that revolutionizes us. And so, what about you? You, you identify with this? Maybe you don't. <laughs> but I reckon if we had time to go around the room today, we probably all had some moments at the wall. Some moments where you wondered, where where is God? What is going on? Unanswered questions, maybe some tears. Uh, The good news is, this isn't the end of the journey of faith. And so, don't miss next week's exciting episode. (laughs) As As we talk about how do you actually navigate this time at the wall. And what are some of the stages, this two or three stages, actually beyond this? And so we're going to continue with that uh, next weekend. Sorry to leave you hanging there. Uh, so I want to just pause, and I'd, I'd love to pray with you this evening. God, thank you for this gift of life, this amazing mystery of breathing, of being alive. And it really is a journey with highs and lows and twists and turns. Um, I pray for everyone in the room today, those listening online, podcast. May may we be more aware of you. May may, may we wake up to just realize you're, you're Emmanuel, God, with us. We don't have to say, Jesus, be with us today. You're actually with us. The question is, are we awake? Help us to be more aware of you and as we journey through this Christmas uh, we pray that many others will discover you're actually not too far away. You're you're right there within our very breath. Uh, Even for those that have been following you for many years, we never stop learning. Needing to learn and to go into greater degrees of awareness. Uh, Help us to grow. (laughs) Maybe some of us here today have been trying to be like Jesus. (laughs) It's just not going to work. And so maybe it's getting involved in that life of training so we become more like you every day. Help us to discover the unique contribution you have for us. Most importantly, for some here today, that when I talked about the wall, maybe right now they're there with questions and doubts. And God, where are you? Lord, I pray right now that you would be so near, so close to them. And may their faith be courageous. Job said, though he slay me, I'm still going to trust him. The three Hebrew children faced with the fire said, God will deliver us. He's able to deliver us. But even if not, we're still not going to bow. And they actually went through that fire. But you happened to be with them in the fire. And you brought them out the other side. And so for people that are at the wall right now, God grant them strength and courage and grace. And may this time, maybe with its tears and pain and disappointment, actually be a defining moment for them. That's my prayer today. And may all of us continue on this incredible journey of faith. May we know you more, experience you more, make you known more and more. In Jesus' wonderful name, everyone say amen. Amen. Come on, give Jesus a clap today. Jesus a clap. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au.